Hey everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange. We specialize in helping clinicians apply a BPS approach to their practice. We offer one-on-one and group mentoring to support clinicians with some skills to handle and manage the uncertainty of clinical practice. We also have some in-person courses lined up for 2023. So if you're interested, all the details are on our website at tkex.org. I'm joined today by a very special guest all the way across the seas in New Zealand, fellow Instagram meme lord, personal trainer, strength coach. He is Grant Odin. And I was very privileged to have an Instagram live chat and he shared some really insightful and valuable experiences from his own uh, episode of back pain as well as his work as a coach. So I'm very keen to dive into his story, as there are quite a bunch of gems in there for clinicians in private practice, both for clinicians working in in-person services, as well as the online presence and uh, ideas for online content. So Grant, really appreciate your time, mate. Thank you for joining us. Daniel, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Mate, the question I ask all our guests to start off, what's your story? Maybe we can go past the childhood trauma stage, but wherever you'd like to start. Well, that far past. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I've been, been in the game now for, I, I've been a personal trainer now for about 10 years or thereabouts. So I probably would have had my first active year in about 2014 um, where I started doing work in the personal training space outside of a gym. And then the following year in 2015, I ventured out of the um, the office job that I was doing and joined the gym and became a personal trainer um, full time. So yeah, I'm currently 40, 45 years old. So when I first started, I would, I would have been about uh, 35, 36. Oh, what a journey! And so transitioning from the corporate lifestyle into more active role and what what brought you into the world of fitness to start i had enough of corporate i just had enough um i to be to be honest mate, I, I pulled into the parking lot of work it was 5 30 in the morning i pulled in with my car sat in the parking space for about two to five minutes and then i thought to myself now i've had enough and that was it i basically i left initially to join a gym in 2015 and then went over to the gym worked there for about three months chickened out went back to corporate was there for for about uh, for about a year and then finally came about to the realization that i was like nah this is a mistake and then i left again yeah quite a a process and a leap, <laughs> I imagine, like to to go from zero to 100 in terms of the personal training yeah. business. And I know from very limited commercial gym experience as an EP, it's quite a lot of work to build up your clientele and lots of back-end work and ridiculous hours as well. Mm. Um, what was it like in the initial stages for you? Scary. Very, very scary. Um, yeah, there's just so much uncertainty and there's that whole, you know, the whole saying, 
better the devil you know than, than the devil you don't. And to go from doing what I had been doing for so long and then venturing over, it's like heading out into uncharted waters. You just you, you don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen, and basically you, you have to um, work your butt off and hold on for dear life and just hope for the best, really. Um, but at the same time, just make sure that um, make sure that I was doing the work that I um, people eventually came to know me. Like I'm probably in a a pretty good space where the city where I live in, like it's a good sized city, but not too big. And uh, if you make a good name for yourself, um, word of mouth spreads quite quickly. And I think that's where the, uh, the majority of my marketing comes from. Yeah, absolutely. The value of doing a good job does the marketing for you in a lot of cases. And I'm curious, uh, I've actually, before starting my clinical practice, I dived into some Fitness Australia accredited courses and was actually after my accreditation and during the first year of my clinical practice, I, I went to some um, like strength and corrective exercise training courses and just hearing the, some of the narratives back then. And obviously this yeah. was a few years ago, but what was your kind of journey like with, with training, with how to coach and cueing? And I'm imagining it's very different to nowadays. People will always say, like, I mean, you can go through as many certifications as you want, but ultimately you just need to do it. And um, looking back, I probably had like a whole bunch of clients who just sort of stuck with me and accepted the fact that I was a greenhorn, really. I mean, I first, I first touched a pair of dumbbells when I was 17, 17 years old, and I thought, okay, I've got a... a I've got like a good baseline of knowledge behind me and I sort of know what I'm doing. And it's probably only like a, a year or two into it where you can reflect back and you think, yeah, nah, I didn't really have an idea about what I was doing. <laughs> and I still don't really. I mean, all we can really do is just be guided by the information that we gather and by the information that we choose to guide us at any given moment. And with the work and training at the same time, what was that uh, process like? How how were you influenced by your own training and colleagues or people around you in, in the gym and also the way that you were treating at, or training clients? Was there like a few similarities amongst that? I, I know I was very much inspired by my own personal training and then the biases then bled into the way I was training clients. What was your experience like? I, especially on the second gym that I joined, which was City Fitness um, here in Hamilton. And at one stage, I think we had about um, 50, between 15 and 20 trainers. And you had know, quite a few people on board. And you had quite a few people with different training styles. You had people who um, specialized in powerlifting. You had spe- uh, people who specialized and um, mobility, um, stretching, um, straight hypertrophy training, strength and, um, strength and conditioning. You had um, weight loss people. And it was 
probably a really good um good gym to be in because you could pick off bits of information and you could kind of try and do your best to disseminate as to what you believe is like a good way of doing it. Um, I think it was, I think I was there for, for about a year and there were so many different and contrasting styles. And I really started to like probably fall into the trap of trying to make things as complicated as possible, like in, in terms of movement. And I probably stayed stay within that vein as a trainer for about four to five years, really. And really, so for me, the, the pendulum had swung too far in, in one direction. And then further on down the track, I thought, no, I'm just going to do, do my own thing. And then the pendulum had swung the other way too far. And I find... Now, with a pendulum just just in the middle, I find if I can take ideas from both styles of training and blend them together, that um, for me personally, um, that, that's the space where I feel the most comfortable. There's something about that process of experiential learning for ourselves to figure out like what. Uh, is in line with our preferences and, and the way that we'd like to train others and our values. Yeah. And there's a lot of trial and error and uh, like feedback as well from that journey of trial and error. Yeah. It, it really is like discovering a bit about yourself as well. Like, especially, you know, you sort of arrive at a point where you're like, you have to step back outside of yourself and think, am I heading in the right direction? Like as a trainer. And it was after probably about four or five years where I finally decided, decided with myself that I would, yeah, find that, find that middle ground and just take different ideas from different spaces, try and wrap them all, all into one and just do the best, do the best um, with what I can with that. Uh, breadth of information yes it's even nowadays there's so much conflicting information it's hard to have a, a filter of how we know what we know in the first place and and who we can so trust into the sources of info um what well, i imagine that that would must have been a bit confusing to make sense it still is yeah yeah it still is yeah and that might um, lead on to further along the track where we talk about our, our online kind of sources and how that's changed. But if we, I'm curious if we dived into your experiences with, with pain and particularly you mentioned back pain, how did that start and what was happening for you? So my first, my real running, running with chronic pain was actually with my, um, my glute. So with my, my right glute. And when I first joined the gym, um, when I first became a trainer at the, um, the first gym where I was, I was taken through a assisted stretching sort of drill with a, um, a floor instructor there. And um, now you have to understand that I'm not really a flexible guy. 
at all. And what this guy did, he sent me down to the floor, cross-legged. And, I mean, I, I'm not supple at all. Like, I, I can't even get into Lotus. Put it that way. And he sent me down, cross-legged, and he grabbed, he grabbed both arms and then yanked forward as hard and as sudden as he, poss as he possibly could. And I'll tell you what, mate, I probably to date, the, the most amount of pain that I've probably experienced was when I had shingles when I was 24. But this, but this was the, the sudden, sharp stab of pain that just radiated all the way down my leg, all through my lower back. And probably for about four or five minutes, I was just seeing stars. And that was the start of it. All right. That's uh, quite the traumatic experience to like go through uh, that like forced stretch. And um, what was um, like, what was going through your mind at the time? And you seek some professional help or, or opinions like, that would be initially, a scary experience. Initially, I was like, oh, yeah. Initially, I was just taken aback. And when I first started to try and go back to training, and my training partner was like, um, we were squatting. And my training partner was pointing out, have you noticed that when you try and squat? So when I went down into a full, a full squat under a barbell, and I had just the most immense amount of pain. This is the week after the, um, the uh, injury happened. And massive amount of pain. And then when I squatted down, I shifted to the left, sort of like trying to navigate myself away, away from the pain. And probably, I know we keep talking about like, like a scale of one to 10, but at the time, the week after was like 12, like for pain. So initially it was, it was really bad. Now, I'm a stubborn, stubborn guy. And it took me a lot, like a long time for me to go out and to look for help. And the first, first person I went and saw was uh, a guy named Stephen Pollock. Who's a pretty deb? He was a pretty deb hand physiotherapist here in Hamilton, and I think I was with him for about a year and a half, just with rehab for physio for physiotherapy, and it did help me through some aspects of trying to deal of trying to deal with the pain, but it was purely based in uh, biomechanics, you know. Oh, you know, that, that's not moving as it should be or that's not looking like it should be or whatever. How does that feel? Or whenever you move that way, how does it feel? So it was always put down to how I was moving and, you know, muscle imbalances and, and things like that. So looking back at it now, probably a very, very uh, reductionist way of looking at it. Based on what I went on, what I know now. 
Yeah, at the time, imagining um, there were some helpful aspects to the the care and the the expertise, and I mean, like that muscle imbalance narrative. I used to say myself five six years ago to to clients. Yeah. Did it did it make sense to you at that time? Like, did it was it coherent with what you were hearing from other people or like your training, the the fitness industry? I've heard some people use the term intuitively correct, uh, intuitively correct. Like it, it sounds like it makes sense. Uh, okay. It's so like a certain, a certain thing isn't doing its job and you've got things that are compensating and so therefore you've got pain referring up and down the chain and blah, 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 blah. And for me, it was like, okay, cool. Um, I think, for me, with that, with that physiotherapist, why I had some degree of success, like a little bit of success, was that the guy himself, Stephen, was just like a hell of a guy. And I'd show up for a forty-five minute session, and we just like laugh, crack jokes. Um, they had a, a fully equipped gym, which was really, which was really helpful. But I got the feeling that toward the end of the toward the end of the therapy it was only then when Stephen was actually trying to glom onto the fact that maybe there's a, a bit more of this than uh, maybe there's more of this than meets the eye and it's, un it's unfortunate because he's actually he was a hell of a guy probably a, a hell of a lot in addition to the, uh, the physiotherapist space but he He's now moved down to Canterbury to be a dairy uh, farmer. <laughs> yeah. wow, what a change in career. And so the, that kind of process was uh, very useful and getting you started back into training. It was the, seems like the other, how the pain impacted you and what you felt about it, how it, uh, yeah. how you, you made sense of it your your understanding your beliefs about it that was only kind of added on at the very end of the journey which yeah. is so common and something that i used to do myself <laughs> and it's like they, they call it the psychosocial issues of the biopsychosocial model is only t the psychosocial stuff is just like a like a sprinkle at the end after the biomechanical stuff Correct. is done yeah yeah I think I think that's that's exactly what happened. Mm. We probably got got within the, the last couple of months of therapy, and we just started touching on on different aspects, like out, outside purely biomechanics, and um, that was how I wrapped up. The funny part is, like, I went, I had a shoulder injury as well, and I had the same the same physiotherapist. So I went back to, um, I went there for Stephen before. I went and saw him for my glute. And um, when I saw him for my shoulder, within three weeks, I probably had around, from every 35% of range of motion on my shoulder because of the pain I probably get to about, uh, probably parallel with the floor. And it would start to, because like it, it would feel like a knife in my shoulder. And when I went to saw Stephen for that, I had three or four weeks of um, therapy with him. 
And within that time, I had 85% range back without pain. So go figure. <laughs> yeah, so many different factors involved in the recovery and, and the, the speed of the rehab. Yeah. As well. Yep. I think, and I think that maybe an element with the glute therapy with him, like going back to him, I maybe expected that degree of, of success and probably a bit let down when that didn't, didn't happen again. Yeah, it was one year and a half you mentioned. Was that for the for the glute? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. Too long. <laughs> what, what was it like for for you to to still have that pain? And I'm imagining Hell. did did it? Yeah did did yeah. it affect your? Yeah. How did it affect your work and your tra- your own training? How do you how do you manage it? For me, for me, in terms of my training, the gym is like a like a huge part of my life. And when I had my shot, my um, my shoulder injury, that probably, like I said before, I'm a stubborn guy. And before I went and saw Stephen, it probably took me about a year before I did anything about it. So I literally did nothing to do with upper body for about a year before I went and saw Stephen. And for a gym, for a gym rat, for a gym meathead like me who just loves the gym. It was depressing to not to not be to not being able to do anything. And if you fast forward back to uh, fast forward to two thousand fifteen when this injury occurred, and I had just started learning how to deadlift and learning how to squat like effectively, and then to have that injury, and then to be working working close by or working near a gym, and to be work, uh, walking past the squat racks every day. And to be reminded of the fact that I can't do that at the moment. And the story that I was telling myself, the brain was uh, that kept playing in a loop was you'll never be able to do that again. And especially not of the weight throw, um, the, the weight throw was before. And it sounds really petty and really shallow. But for me, it's like the gym. This will sound sappy, but it's like a big part of my identity. Hell yeah. I appreciate as a fellow gym rat, the importance, the meaning behind being able to lift heavy shit, the, the yeah. feeling that you get. I think um, we often talk too much about like the strength gains and all the mo- you know, mobility gains and health benefits, but like the way it makes you feel after yeah. you lift and that process, that competence, that, uh, your mood, your affect, your the emotions behind it, the the struggle, the challenge, and the the journey. It's that there's so much more behind just the you know the weights on on the bar. And when it, you said like the journey, and then when that journey becomes derailed, at least in your mind, in terms of capability, it's a huge wrench in the works. You feel like everything's coming. It's coming undone. You feel like everything that you've worked for and everything that you've done in the past doesn't matter anymore. Because now you've got this, um, in my mind, now I've got the century that I'll never be able to work through. What I'm hearing is there was that permanence of like, this is never going to get yeah. better. There's yeah. no end in sight. No light at the end of the tunnel at all. Wow. Especially up here. 
especially after a year and a half of, of therapy. What was the what what were the turning points for you in in this journey? I got and what I what I said before about pulling up in that car park and basically just getting fed up and just and just turning the car ignition off and just saying now nah, I've had enough. It was the same thing. So I was I was at a gym in a a, a smaller boutique gym here in Hamilton. And it's there for about probably about a year and a half. And things at the gym, at the gym were wrapping up. It was closing down pretty much, and I was moving on. And I got within the last three or four weeks of the of the gym closing. And really, like the pain, the pain had gotten better. But the flare-ups that I had were probably, like when it flared up, it really flared up and it stayed around for like a long time. So it was more like a, a flare-up that lasted for anywhere between two and four weeks. And by that time, I just had a guts fall. And I made a decision with myself, like in my brain, that I was saying to myself, am I going to let this injury define me and dictate what I can't what I can't can do in the gym and part of it was changing that narrative in my brain from this will never get better to come on Grant get serious there has to be had to have been people out there who have had injuries like this or have had pain like this that have got, that has gotten better over time. And then moving forward from there, I just tried a new approach. So what I started doing was I started doing less for the injury. I stopped prodding it, poking it, foam rolling it, massaging it, um, my ex-girlfriend used to like uh, take one of the massage balls and just like drive it right under my glute and just like roll around and things like that. And then afterwards, you'd feel a bit better. And then sure enough, it'd be just back to the way it was within about you know half an hour. And I just stopped doing it. And I lightened the, the load on the, ba on the bar, tried to just... Um, just Disassociate myself from being okay. I can't lift that. Uh, I can't lift that much on the bar anymore. So therefore, I'm just gonna gonna stop doing it or do less of it or, or whatever, and just left my ego at the door and made the decision where with myself that or the an agreement with myself that I'll start from square one and just build myself back up. So from 40 kilos on the bar and just work my, work my way back up gradually over time while, while maintaining that narrative in my head that things would get better. So you tried all the poking, prodding, 
massaging, stretching, yeah. mobility, specific exercises. Tell, tell us, if you don't mind, the things that you tried to, to do previously to get rid of it. So trigger work, foam rolling, massage, extensive uh, static stretching, um, hours upon hours of single leg work, to try and iron out imbalances. To like strengthen the weaker. Yeah. Or strengthen yeah. the imbalance. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Like even, even code so far, it's sort of favoring one leg and single leg routines, maybe going, going a bit heavier or doing, or doing more reps on one side. I think you name it and I've, I tried it. Where did you get these ideas from so from the guy that i used to work uh work with at that gym where i was and in hamilton which was the third third gym where i was and he was very very much a um a biomechanics guy who who had convinced me like up, up and down that he was like nah your problems are or to do with um, biomechanics and the, and the way you're moving. You're, you're uneven, you're imbalanced, and it needs fixing. It's really uh, crazy to think how much of an impact that those words have on like someone's future behaviors and their attitude, their beliefs, and then how that impacts their entire pain experience. And it can be like a, a thought virus that just sticks. Thought virus is probably the best term that I've heard to describe it. Because it's implanting, implanting a seed, like an idea. And then from that idea, a whole bunch of negative thoughts come off it. It's like a, a cascade where like you start with a small snowball and then the more and more snow picks up and the, there's different like beliefs and thoughts and emotions are linked to that. And then you link the story of imbalances to other things that so just keeps yeah. growing and growing. And it, it just keeps you in that kind of trying to get rid of the pain. Shouldn't have pain, or something's wrong with you. That's why you have pain. So you blame it on yourself, blame it on your body. You don't trust your body anymore. But... The snowball is the perfect analogy. It's just like a, like a self perpetuating downward spiral. Now, I, as a uh, honest side note, I appreciate your vulnerability as well in disclosing this because it's a fucking tough time and a very personal experience to go through um, and it took during this time, it seems like that challenge that you needed to challenge your own uh, story and where you were heading down. And you thought that there was a enough is enough kind of process that this, this journey isn't helping. This isn't working. You needed to do something different. There was that, that realization moment needed. That was it. And I think being, being able to, being able to move out of that gym and without that guy being there, constantly, that voice in my ear, constantly trying to remind me that, uh, no, you need fixing. 
there's something happening in your body that we need to nail down and it needs fixing. And to not have that voice anymore, I think, was a massive leg up for me. Huge. The, the huge impact of those around us and how they influence us. It's um, Big time. Mm. And so the, the starting point was going through very gradual increases in squats. What was that kind of experiential journey like? after that realization and after you moved to a different gym? Trying to get past like a, a certain point. I think all that, so the first initial phases of, of me getting better and my, the chronic aspect of the pain in my glute calming down probably came in around 2019 to 2020. And especially within in the formative years, really when I found um, the um, the amazing people that operate, you know, um, within the MSK space on on Instagram, and taking their message and absorbing it into what I was doing, and from then my headspace just became better and better, and I, I just came um, came along the links of bounds. I mean, to this day, I, I still have flare-ups. Don't get me wrong. They're still there. Um, but they are nowhere near as bad as what they were. And it all comes from knowing what pain actually is and knowing that it does not always equal damage and that it is recoverable and that the body is very, very good at healing itself over time. It's so cool to hear your recount of, of this experience. It seemed like you, you did the hard work yourself, the yeah. experiential process of gradually deloading and then gradually reloading and, and building yourself back up without, and you just took away all the, kind of um, uh, pain-fixing little gadgets and tools along the way, and then you, you figured yep. out that, oh, you didn't actually need them. <laughs> you did that all yourself. But that's... Yep. I'm, I'm like, impressed, to, to, to be uh, blunt. That takes a lot of... Uh, there's a quality in there that I'm trying to name that just takes that courage, I feel, is the quality to, to just... The bravery to just do it and see what happens and the curiosity as well to experiment. I have like a lot of like a lot of people within the MSK, MSK space, especially on Instagram, um, to think. And it's so many like good practitioners on there that how do I phrase this? They know a they know a lot more than me, but at the same time they appreciate the fact that they don't know everything. Yeah, I mean you knew from your own lived experience and through the knowledge that your training, your body was giving you your responses and your inner experience. And then the, it seemed like that's after, after you started to experiment, that's when you came across more. Um, you mentioned in our live Alexis, the no bullshit physio on Instagram. Well, yep. Was that the timeline? Am I correct in saying that, that it happened like that after would have been you started? It. That would have been it. Yeah. Especially like um, when I came across um, Alexis's page 
he is like an innocent proponent of the um of the biosphere model and then trying to think of it looking back at what i have told people in training about how the mind is linked to the body and how they're both intrinsically linked and one really can't be separated from the um, from the other at all and one will always have influence over the, over the other I mean, I've I've always told clients from you know from a second or th- second or third year as a trainer um, was that the the mental aspect can, the mental aspect can never be uh, ignored. And for me to look back on what I had been telling clients, and then for me believing up and down that no, this is all physical. And then asking myself, why are you a dumbass? <laughs> that the whole mindset thing is is so common in in training in in uh, fitness industry, but yep. then that there's that uh, that context, but then in another context of pain, especially when it's our own lived experience, it's a different context. It's all physical. It's all biomechanical it's all you know something's wrong with my body it's all like a hundred percent like even in in the training space it is linked to the story that people tell themselves i I still have people walk through the door on day one or for a consult and they've convinced themselves up and down that um they have been stuck where they are and things will never get better and it's really just trying to help them. I'm searching for the right word here. Dismantle that story and take it apart and just try and try and assure them that, well, that's just pretty much what you're telling yourself. And things don't have to be that way. And things can and will get better. If you just allow them, allow those things to get better, it'll happen over time. Just keep nudging it out. Yeah, it's really interesting. I hadn't even thought of the whole, um, we talk about mindset and the importance of mindset for performance in athletes, for long-term commitment to exercise and fitness routines. But when it comes to pain, it's we take out the mindset completely. It's not even a, a, a factor involved. Yep. We tell like um, performance athletes that are, uh, you know, all the time, you know, your level of, of commitment comes first. You know, do you have that spark? Do you have that willingness and that fire and that competitive strength to get better? And I know that general uh, general population is nowhere near what a um, performance athlete would be. Why do we never take that aspect and tell people, you know, instill that in gen pop and not just the performance people? Mate, I am so for that. And the reinforcement of that can come from the online spaces. And that's where you came across Alexis and similar 
um, content creators in this space yep. that seem to, what I'm hearing is they reinforced that message for you and provided some scientific explanations as well and, and, and made it easier. So they facilitated your um, journey towards full recovery with the pain and moved you away from the kind of pain reductionist pathoanatomical biomechanical narratives. Exactly. And and looking looking back at it again now, and I've always told myself uh, like not to rely not to rely on anecdote. Well, for however long, for you know five, six, seven years, I had relied upon my own uh, my own anecdote with how to approach my pain. And again, looking back on it. Just think to myself, how come I never tried to um, try to break out of that bubble? But the thing is, it's hard. And if you're a stubborn prick like me, it's even harder. <laughs> if if you were talking, so most of our listeners are clinicians in in private practice, MSK therapists, and there's a lot of talk that I, at least in my very biased bubble with talking about what we can do to promote evidence-based practice. So from your perspective and from what you've heard, what can clinicians do more of and do better to help facilitate more BPS aligned approaches to pain, to injury? Spread the knowledge as far, as far and wide as I can. And even within the um, within within the training space, and just let people know that when it comes to to m- managing pain, that it's not just the um, the, the one dimensional approach. There's a lot of trainers um, within the personal training space who only still rely on the on the biomechanical model, and. Looking back, I think for me especially, it's infuriating because I can look look back on what I have been through and just think, oh, there's just so much more to this. Like at least in, in terms of dealing with of dealing with pain, and there's a lot of knowledge that they can um, proliferate into the training into the training space that not even just to do with pain. Just with it, um, with how to um, approach things, as long as they do it in a, like a, a a simplified kind of manner, because I just have a real uh, short fuse for people who overcomplicate things, and I'm a massive fan of people, especially within within the uh, the MSK space, who just keep it simple, just for the love of God. Guys, just keep it simple. <laughs> There's a, I um, have been reflecting on the jargon that can often come out of my mouth. So this is a very humbling experience to hear from from your words and in, in your voice and from your experience that if we can keep it simple and, and simplify the complexity whilst also being humble and honest about what we know and what we don't know. That's that meaning point in the middle. See, the thing, the thing I loved about your, um, your content on social media was, was um, things like, okay, how can we 
coaching to like a, an elderly population or an older, an older population with things like getting up and down off the floor. Well, have them get up and down off the floor. <laughs> oh my God, mind blown. And I had never really seen it. No, I can safely say that I had never seen it approached like in that manner before. So it's just a, a massive kudos to you for just keeping things as simple as possible and just distilling distilling everything down to its base form. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny. The value is in that at the same time I can imagine myself five, six years ago wanting that complexity and feeling like I'm missing out on the biomechanical specific knowledge or the magical skills of therapists and the, the tools and the tricks in their toolbox. And there is that seduction of a biomechanical model because of that certainty. And it's like, yeah, you can fix things if you just activate the right muscles yeah. or you move the right way. It's already tempting buy-in for people to use. And I think, Oh, there's no other there's no other real real uh, real way to phrase this. It's trying to impress upon people that they're smarter than they think than they think they are. <laughs> yeah, it just becomes like I know more than you, and this is all my knowledge knowledge dump. And yeah. <sighs> I mean, if it's done in a in a humble and honest way, I think that's probably one of the the ways around it that we can still know a lot, but also at the same time of knowing a lot, we can know the limitations. There's that kind of Dunning-Kruger effect where the more you know about biomechanics and literature, the more the literature itself debunks a lot of the assumptions within it. But that, yeah, it's still so, exactly it, yeah. it's still so seductive, I guess, from the from the outside, from on the surface level. Uh, people who use the complex biomechanical terminology appear scientific and knowledgeable. That's it. That's exactly it, yeah. It's just making things complex for the sake of being complex. Don't get me wrong. I think like um, the, amount of, uh, the amount of information out there that we can tap into um, will always be good because it gives us avenues that we can go down. But there's just uh, like a real pushback against the notion that the human the human body is really adaptable, really robust, and able to come back from a lot of things, especially if you give it time. Absolutely. The there's that optimistic look on the human body. And then there's the, if you don't do it this way, you're going to break or you're going to eventually overload or cause pain. And that's more of the pessimistic idea of the body as a machine. It can't adapt. Whereas if we just yep. have the same baseline understanding, but just see it as we can adapt to this wrong movement, maybe that's a way to, to help. Um, I'm just thinking of audiences in the fitness 
and health industry that are seduced by the biomechanics that like you can still use the same seductive biomechanics, perhaps nudging them towards more of that movement optimism and other factors involved. That's exactly it. And all I'm, all I'm suggesting people, uh, to people is just to open, open your mind and just be willing, be willing to accept other points of view and to try other things because that's, that's how you get better. And if you don't, you're leaving stuff on the table. You're leaving tools on the table for you to get better. And that's, that's how we advance as trainers and that's how we advance as, um, um, in this game. If there was one more bit of advice I'm thinking for, from what you've seen and heard within your space and within your industry, uh, of what of what clinicians could be doing differently and in, in general advice for those promoting more evidence-based content out there. I, I've already taken some notes of leaving out the jargon and simplifying the, the complexity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what advice would I give them? Learn as much as they can. Uh, don't become don't become narrow, um, narrow-minded and don't have tunnel vision and always be learning and I always tell people that I've been a trainer now for about uh, 10 years if you were in a position where you can't look back in the last three years and cringe at yourself then you are not evolving as a practitioner, as a trainer, as a chiropractor, as a physiotherapist, whatever. If you can't look back and you think, what the F was I thinking? Then you're not getting any better. You should be able to cringe. <laughs> and believe me, I can cringe a lot. Especially because I have Facebook and I keep spitting out memories at me from like the last four or five or six years. <laughs> I feel you on that one. I think the the cringe is actually good if you if you cringe. I it is. There's that the yeah. social idea that it's a bad thing, and it's like the you know maybe cultural uh, weight of cringe, quote unquote, you know shame. But this is like actually the embarrassment. The cringe is <laughs> good. It's a good sign. I would be very worried. I think if someone didn't have cringe. Yep. I think there might be a meme in there. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yep. It's, it's, uh, it, it, yeah. it's very uh, ironic as well. I had a podcast yesterday with Keenan Hollingsworth. He's a massage therapist along with Matt Danziger, which we'll, I'm not sure about the publishing date for this one, but we'll have it in there. And he said exactly the same thing, that literally he looks back on his Facebook memories and he cringes and that's a, that's a good yeah. sign. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, mate, I've, just, I've got just the meme in mind and I'm probably going to send it through to you and um, invite you to collab on it. Sounds great. <laughs> That's it. I think collab is where to go as well. Um, it, it's, it's really cool to see this movement and to be inspired by people like you in the space. It, it can be a, a, an isolating kind of environment and we can have the uh, uh, frustration at hearing how other therapists, clinicians, coaches train and, the 
the the stuckness that we can feel but when we have communities and people like you out there it just makes at least my job a lot easier and it makes yeah. the the doom scrolling a lot nicer the, the door swings both ways daniel and i think you have a whole bunch of large influences that have a massive reach that are probably peddling maybe the um the incorrect what i'm going to say incorrect i'm going to say all encompassing all encompassing views that they have that leave out so much um you know you know that just talking black and white and just to sell everything down and just really at the same time trying to make things as, as complex as possible but at the same at the same time you have like a, a whole bunch of pages like me you alexi people like that who probably don't have a stronger follow account but combined we do have you know a network of people who are, who are there are some really brilliant lines with it within that network that you can take ideas from and it's just always evolving and I think especially if you look at guys like, like a, um, Alexis over in Canada and his, it becomes really apparent that his philosophy is to always be trying to prove himself wrong. Confirmation bias is a hell of a thing. And I still have it. And I, I still have to step outside myself every, every now and again and just, just say to myself, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Because again, there's that danger of the pendulum swinging back too far in one direction without actually questioning why that pendulum is swinging the way it is. The huge value of having a community to bounce ideas off each other and collab and try and prove each other wrong, I think, with banter and with good nature and, and humility and, and positive intentions, yeah. I think there's... That's everything to challenge ourselves and challenge our own thinking. So we continually yep. grow and change and update over time. It's really refreshing because within, within the comment section of all those pages, you never see, you never ever see people attacking the people. You still, you will see people challenging the ideas and asking for perspective and asking for viewpoints on how they arrived at their perspective. And for me, when you look at the um, the larger uh, the larger influences, they seem to always default to attacking the person. And I think a big part of it, I thought I, I come back to confirmation bias, and I think one of the huge mistakes we make is that we take an idea and we absorb it into a, into our identity, and then an attack on that idea is perceived as an attack on us. As a, as a personal attack and the two things have to be uncoupled so you really have to have not to fall fall into the um that trap of like that um, wrapping yourself up in an in, in ideology because i think as, as soon as you do that you've just become one of those voices who deals in, in black and white and absolutes and then you will only ever go. You will only ever go down one road, and it's probably pretty destructive. Mate, that's a mic drop moment. The ability to that 
ability to separate yourself from your ideas, beliefs, from the claims, and also a very helpful comment for those in the comment section to make it about the claim and not the person. And always question the claims because it can be so easy to be uh, to be appearing as though you're attacking the person or you're just, you know, you play the, that's it. You play, you play the ball and not the player. Beautiful. Mate, Grant, I really appreciate your insights and sharing your experiences and keen for to, to keep up the collabs. Mate, and for the listeners who are uh, keen to find out a bit more about you and follow you, where can they find you? So I am on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Odin Strength. So that's O-D-E-N Strength, all one word. And um, yeah, if you want to give me a follow, and I put up um, ideas, crappy memes, and um, I'm normally typically pretty angry. So yeah, you'll get that vibe. <laughs> Mate, the anger is necessary. It's just that, that passion. <laughs> Keeps the fire burning. Absolutely. Grant, really appreciate this. And until the next one. Mate, it has been an absolute blast. Thanks for having me.